Well, thank you, praise team. Uh, welcome to Horizon Community Church. My name is Harry Shields. Uh, for my wife, Carol, for me, uh, this is our first weekend uh, here at Horizon, and we are delighted to be with you. If you are also a visitor, I'm going to remind you at this point in our service that following uh, this time in our equipping service, if you have questions about uh, Horizon Community Church, uh, outside these doors, down the hallway in the left-hand side, there is the hearth room, and there will be people there who will welcome you and will answer any questions that you might have about uh, this community of faith. So a very special welcome if you're visiting for the first time. Behind me, you're going to see uh, on the screen uh, our scripture for this morning. It's taken from Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. I'm not going to read it at this time, but you may want to take your copy of the scriptures or turn in your electronic devices to Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. That's where we'll be setting up camp this morning and seeing what it is that God has to say to us. Now, I don't know what your past week was like. It could be that you came to uh, Friday night and you said to yourself or you said to someone in your family, uh, boy, I'm exhausted. What I really need is a good night's rest. And people are tired when they have no energy left. That's one of the things they say. I, I'm tired. I just need a good night's rest. Maybe you've said that or you've heard other people say it as well. I heard that statement uh not long ago from an air conditioning repairman who came to our home. Uh, in fact, we signed one of those contracts, those maintenance contracts. Some of you have done the same thing uh, early in the season. And so he came by to check things out and he said, uh, Harry, uh, I'm sorry to tell you, but uh, your air conditioner is old. Uh, I could try to repair it, but it's going to continue to cost you money. Probably be cheaper if you put in a new air conditioner. And so we checked out his facts, and sure enough, we, we thought that was the case. And so uh, he ordered a new air conditioner for us, and uh, we had him agree to do some other things in our home. And so we set up a time when he was going to come. And, and he came the first day, and he was inside the house, and he was outside of the house. He took the old air conditioner out. He put a new air conditioner in. He was upstairs. He was downstairs. He was on the roof. He was off the roof. He told us at the end of the day, he had one of those little wristbands that monitors how far you've walked in a given day. He said, Harry, I have walked seven miles today in your house. I thought that was great. Well, it showed the next morning because he came back to finish the work. And uh, he walked in, he didn't even ask for an invitation, walked into our kitchen, pulled out a chair, sat down, he said, oh my. He says, what I really need is a good night's rest. It's probably true when you've walked seven miles the day before and you've done a lot of work. Not long ago, um, I went to the emergency room. You don't need to worry about it, uh, everything is fine, but wasn't fine at the time, I awakened uh, early in the morning, had a lot of pain, and uh, just wouldn't seem to go away. And so Carol and I drove to the emergency room. And uh, you know how those things go. You're, you're taken after you check in to one of those little rooms, and then you're assigned a nurse as well as a doctor. And the, and the nurse came in, and she checked my vitals, and she was in and out. And we were there for a while, so we struck up a conversation with her. We asked her how long she'd been a nurse. We asked her how long she had worked at the hospital where we were. I asked her about her family. Then I said to her, uh, do you always work the night shift? 
And she nodded and she said, yes, I work the night shift. She said, I've done it for about 20 years now. And then she kind of leaned in and she said, I only have one more hour. And then she said, I'm going to go home and I'm going to get a good day's rest. <laughs> well, whether it's a good night's rest or good day's rest, when people are tire, tired, when they're fatigued, they need to find some rest. But, you know, it's, it's not just physical exhaustion that people face. Sometimes people are weary because of other experiences that they're facing in life. I know people, you know people as well, who have been unemployed for months. They update their resume. They, they send it out every other day. They network with other people. They make phone calls. They make visits. And it just seems that week after week, month after month, that they just can't seem to land a job and at the end of those days, they are weary and they wonder what in the world are they going to do? Where are they going to turn next? Or are there people who face a kind of relational weariness? What I mean by that, it may be a, a parent with a child. A parent invests in the child. They do everything that they possibly can to give the child the, all of the right things in life. They take them to church. And then for some reason... One day, the, the child makes a left-hand turn out of the church into independence and rebellion. And the parent tries to call. They send text messages. They send emails. They send them books. They send all sorts of things. Nothing seems to change. And the parent will say, well, what in the world have I done wrong? They are weary and they are relationally tired. And some people, some here this morning, you, you awaken to the news and you say, what in the world is happening in our world? And we see people thumbing their nose at righteousness and morality as though it never existed. What's your form of weariness this morning? And is there any hope in this world that seems to produce tiredness and weariness all along? But where can we turn? I have good news for you this morning. In fact, God has good news, and it's found in this text of Scripture that we're going to look at in just a moment, Mark chapter 6. In fact, as a congregation, for the last several weeks, you have been making your way through the gospel of Mark. In so doing, you have been looking at the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, we're going to do so again this morning, and when I first started to study this passage in Mark chapter 6, I thought, well pretty simple what this passage is all about. It's one of two feeding passages in Mark's gospel, feeding of the 5,000. Later on, you're going to be looking at the feeding of the 4,000. So I thought it's rather straightforward. Jesus comes along, he can take a very little, and out of that, he can make a lot. And so I assume that probably the moral of the story that that Mark has recorded for us is that this is what God is going to do in our lives. But the more I studied this passage... That might be a point, but that's not the main point that Mark is trying to make. He's telling us something else, especially about our weariness in life. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to make some observations as we look at this passage. On the other side of the observations, we're going to draw a conclusion, a principle, a truth that I hope you will take with you, not only into this day, but into the rest of your life. Then looking at that truth, we're going to say, how does this truth fit specifically into our lives? Okay, that, that's where we're headed. 
Now, in making some observations, I want you to notice that in this passage, there is a lot of weariness, a lot of tiredness that is going on. For example, in Mark chapter 6, would you make note of the fact that there is physical weariness that is taking place? How do we know that? In the very first verse of our passage, verse 30, we are told that the apostles have come back from a preaching tour. Jesus, in Mark chapter 6 and verse 7, had sent the apostles out. He told them, don't take anything with you. Don't take a bag. Don't take any food. Just take a staff with you. Go into a home. If the people will listen to you, the assumption was they will also feed you. But if they do not, Jesus says, when you walk out of that house, shake the dust off of your sandals. And we learn at the end of that paragraph in verse 13 that many amazing things took place at the hands of the apostles. Now, you want to make note of that as to why it took place in in just a moment. But they go out. They come back and they want to tell Jesus everything that had happened because demons had been cast out. People had been anointed with oil and they were healed. And so they're chattering with one another and they're telling Jesus everything that took place. And Jesus says to them, come on, come away in verse 30. Uh, Come away to a deserted place so that you can rest. So there's physical weariness that is obviously taking place in this passage. Notice a, a second observation. Would you make note of the fact that one of the things we see happening is that there's not only physical weariness, but there is also what I'm going to call political weariness. I say that because Mark, very strategically, very carefully, takes this passage and he puts it right up against the the previous paragraph where we learn that Herod, King Herod, or Herod Antipas, is the one who is behind the beheading of John the Baptist. He was a ruthless ruler. In fact, the people really didn't like him. They thought he was a... A false leader. He wasn't the one that they wanted to lead him because he did all sorts of despicable things against the populace. And so there's a weariness in which the people are beginning to wonder, is God ever going to deliver us from this sort of thing? Physical weariness. Uh, there is political weariness. But would you also make another observation? There is what I'm going to call theological weariness. I say that because would you make note in verse 31 that after Jesus says, come away and rest a while, in the middle of the verse, he says, for there were many coming and going. Now, why in the world were they coming and going? I suppose there are a lot of answers to that. Many wanted to come for what they could get from Jesus, for what they could get from the apostles. But I would submit to you that there's another reason why they are coming and going. Because some of them were coming and they did not get what they wanted from Jesus. If you look at the apostles, look at the scriptures, rather, at the gospels, you will discover that not everyone was healed. Not every demon was cast out. Not every problem was solved. And so I suppose some people were disillusioned with that. And so coming to Jesus, they gave up hope and they left, just like some of us do today. God doesn't answer our prayers the way we think he should answer our prayers. He doesn't give us the things that we think he should be giving to us. And we become disillusioned with God Almighty. Physical weariness, political weariness, and theological weariness. Now, on top of that, let's continue to make some observations. Because if you look carefully at this passage, it's almost as if 
God is taking a, a paintbrush and he's putting another scene on top of this feeding passage, this feeding miracle. Here's why I say this. For several years, Carol and I lived in northeastern Wisconsin, and from time to time we would go up to Door County. Maybe some of you have visited Door County, Wisconsin. Beautiful area. And uh, just out of Fish Creek, there is a studio, and the studio is owned by an artist by the name of Charles Peterson. I wouldn't be surprised that some of you have paintings in your home by Charles Peterson. Charles Peterson is unique in this regard. Uh, he will paint a scene, what I would call a main scene. It might be a scene of someone uh, sitting on the bank of a stream fishing. It, it might be someone uh, in the marketplace selling vegetables and fruit. Uh, it might be a scene at a town hall meeting. All, all kinds of scenes, main scenes. And in all of Charles Peter, Peterson's pictures, if you would look carefully uh, on the painting, you'd discover something else. They're almost these ghost-like figures. These silhouettes that are in the background. There's another scene that's taking place. Children are playing in the marketplace. People are, are going to church as well as just having a church building. So you see brush strokes of other scenes that are taking place. The same thing is happening in Mark chapter 6. Here's why I say this. Some commentators say, if you look carefully at what Jesus was doing in this passage, you will see things that happened in the Old Testament. For example, you look carefully and you begin to see that there is the possibility of another or a new exodus. Why is that the case? Jesus says in verse 30, And the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a, now notice this next phrase, to a deserted place and rest a while. If you have another translation, it may say, uh, come away to a wilderness area. And that word may trigger in your mind, certainly probably triggered in the minds of, of the apostles, what happened in the book of Exodus where God comes down and he speaks through Moses and speaks to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And God brings about this great exodus where the people of Israel come out of bondage into the freedom that God is going to give to them. So there's an image here of perhaps another exodus. Not only that, you look carefully, you go to the end of this story, and you discover that uh, Jesus is, is basically uh, saying to the apostles, uh, listen, um, you want to send these people away, but, but you feed them. And they say it's going to take uh, 200 denarii. It's going to take a, a year's wages in order to, to feed all these people. We can't do that. And what do you have? Well, we have five barley loaves, kind of like five barley tortillas. That's what they were. That's how they were shaped. Uh, two little fish that are like sardines. That's all we have. And, and Jesus blesses them and he begins to feed them. It's almost as if there is another kind of manna that is coming down that God is providing for these people. A scene again from the Old Testament. And then, you'll want to notice that scene, it's round about uh, verse 34, where we are told that Jesus gets the uh, disciples, the apostles, into a boat. They go from one side of the lake to the other side of the lake. The people could see them. They're, they're, they're running uh, uh, along the shore as they see them going. Apparently, the boat has some wind against it, and they can't go as fast as the people are running. The people get there ahead of Jesus and the disciples. And when Jesus steps out of the boat, the text says 
that he had compassion upon them. Listen to this phrase. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What's that have to do with the imagery of God? It has everything to do with it because uh, in Numbers chapter uh, 27, or, or as well as in uh, Isaiah chapter 40, there was this promise that God said to his people, I will send another shepherd to you to shepherd my people. And all of a sudden, we see that this might be what is taking place in Mark chapter 6. So, so we have these scenes of another exodus, there's another kind of manna that's coming, and there is another shepherd. Now, in all of these observations, along with weariness and the images of God, God has a principle that he wants us to take into life. And I said a few moments ago, I hope you'll not only take this with you today, but you'll take it with you into the rest of your life. Listen carefully. If there's anything you write down, this is what you want to write down. In your weariness, Jesus is our real rest. In our time of spiritual fatigue, Jesus is our ultimate respite giver. Let's define those phrases if we can for a moment. When we say that Jesus is our real rest, what are we talking about? The term rest appears in the Old Testament, and it appears in the New Testament, especially in the book of Hebrews. Uh, the term rest has a lot to do with promises that are fulfilled. Uh, God said to the people of Israel, I will take you out of bondage and I will give you rest. I will take you to the land that I have promised to you. It, it was described as a land of rest. In other words, God was going to fulfill his promises and he did that for Israel. But there was another rest that the book of Hebrews talks about, a real rest that will come in a person, a person that we could rely upon, a person that we could trust in. This morning, you walked into this chapel. Maybe you went to the same road that you go to every other Sunday that you're here. In fact, you didn't even think about it. You walked in and you sat down. Some of you were fatigued and so you plopped down. <laughs> Some of you walked in and you sat down very, very carefully. But you never said, I wonder if these pews are going to hold me up. You trusted them. You rested upon them. Because you knew that they were secure. And when we talk about Jesus being our real rest, what we are saying is he is the one we can rely upon ultimately. Every other thing we trust in, when we trust in money, when we trust in fame, when we trust in other kinds of security, when we trust in other people, ultimately they will let us down. But Jesus, in your fatigue, in your weariness, will never let you down. That's what this passage is telling us. So in your weariness, Jesus is your real rest. Now, what would it look like if you and I were truly trusting in Jesus, truly resting in him? Four things I hope you will think about when you think about resting in Jesus as your real rest. First of all, when you rest in Jesus, you are going to rest in his authority. Why do we say that? If you go back to the preceding context, Mark chapter 6, verse 7 through verse 13, Jesus says to the apostles again, he says, I want you to go out, I want you to preach. They probably were preaching about the kingdom. They were preaching that Jesus was the king. Don't take any bag with you. Don't take anything that you can put food in or any other possessions. 
All you really need is a staff and go around and you preach. And that's exactly what they did. My question is, why in the world did these 12 men believe that they could do that sort of thing? It's because they were watching Jesus. They saw him everywhere he went. They, they listened to his stories. They, they listened to his words. They listened to the things that he was promising. They saw that he could back up absolutely everything that he said. So when Jesus comes along and Jesus says, I want you to go, I want you to do this, they trust in his authority. Look at verse 30 again. For the first time, they are called apostles. That word means sent ones. Sent ones are individuals who come under the authority of another. And so they come under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, when you become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's asking you to come under his authority. Ah, but that's where we face some difficulty, don't we? Because when we come under the authority of Jesus, uh, we think that we can still kind of uh, negotiate our own agenda and what we want to do and And so we wake up one day and we say, you know, I'm I'm tired of this marriage. It isn't working. I want out of it. And Jesus says, whatever God has brought together, let no man separate. Let no man dissolve. Or Jesus comes along and we say, "I, I hate that person. And Jesus says, be kind to one another. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Oh, but, but you don't know what they've done to me. Jesus says, come, rest in my authority. When you rest in his authority, whatever he says, you come to the conclusion, it is right, it is wise, it is good. Therefore, we do it. Because when we are weary, Jesus will be our real rest. So we rest in his authority, but we rest in something else. We also come to the point where we rest in his compassion. Back to verse 34. Did you notice again that when Jesus got out of the boat, (laughs) he looked at the people who were already there. And it says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Wouldn't wouldn't it be great if... uh, Mark was a mind reader, and he could look in, and he could know exactly what it was Peter was thinking. Peter probably said something, oh, brother, more more people, just at the time when we thought we were going to get a little R&R, and look at what we have to do now. But the text says Jesus has compassion on them. In fact, if you go back to chapter 5, just one small glimpse where you see that Jesus has compassion on a demon-possessed individual and the demons are cast out. He had compassion on that individual. Jesus has compassion on a synagogue ruler. And he raises up his daughter. Jesus has compassion on a woman who has a, an issue of blood. She goes to many doctors and she finds no relief. And, and Jesus is able to touch her because he had compassion on them. That's the kind of Savior we have. And we can come to the point where we can trust in his compassion. But, you know, sometimes we're like Martin Luther. Martin Luther had a statement. I can proclaim the love of God. My big problem is I wonder if God loves me. And we say, I, I've heard that God is compassionate. God, I, I wonder if God is compassionate to me. I, I think he's compassionate to the person sitting next to me in my row. He's compassionate to other people. But is he really compassionate to me? 
not long ago, um, we had a day in which uh, started out, I, I went to the eye doctor and the eye doctor in, informed me that condition of glaucoma that I had, that it was getting worse. And he said, Mr. Shield, we're, we're going to have to do something about this. And so he said, uh, I'm going to prescribe that you have surgery this summer. And so surgery has been set up for the month of July. And so I'm going to have to go through that. I wasn't really excited about that. And then uh, later that day, we got a call from another doctor and said, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like Carol to go in for this test. Uh, I, I think it's going to be good. We'll, we'll find out some other things that may, may be going on. And uh, okay, we'll, we'll do that. Wasn't real excited. Carol wasn't real excited that that was going to take place. The day before, our uh, daughter-in-law had not been feeling well, and so that evening we called just to see how Angie was doing and had, had a wonderful conversation with our son and, and daughter-in-law. And then right at the end of the conversation, our daughter-in-law said, hey, hey pray for Gav, our grandson. He's really having a, a tough time in school, challenged by autism and going through some difficult things. And I said, sure, well pray for him. We continue to pray for him. And I uh, shut my cell phone off, laid it down, and Carol said, well, what's wrong? And I said to her that I was angry. I wasn't angry at her, wasn't angry at the doctors, wasn't angry at our grandson. I was angry at God. And I started saying, why in the world is he allowing this to happen? I mean, other people that I know, they don't have problems like this. In fact, I I was so angry, I couldn't sleep. I kept tossing and turning. I thought, this isn't good for Carol. I better go downstairs. You probably uh, heard that expression. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. It's true. If you, if you go to bed angry, you're never going to sleep. And that was my problem. I went downstairs, took my Bible with me. I can't tell you why I opened my Bible to John chapter 21, but I did. That's the story where after the resurrection, Jesus says to Peter, says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And then he comes to the end of it, and, and, and Peter is realizing this is what the Lord wants him to do. And he turns around and he sees John, the other disciple, the beloved disciple, following him. And Peter says, what about him? And Jesus says, essentially, don't worry about him. You follow me. That's exactly what the Spirit of God said to me through his word. Harry, you follow me. In fact, Harry, I've been more compassionate to you than what you really think. So Carol and I have, have started, and we every day start thinking about the blessings that we have. We, we challenge ourselves. Okay, what, what blessings do we have today? What blessings have we had in the past? And we discover that God is a compassionate God. Rest in his compassion, in your weariness. Jesus is your real rest. So rest in his authority, rest in his compassion. Third thing that you want to do, you want to make sure that you also rest in his power. When you look at Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, or the other three Gospels as well, you discover that his, his power is manifested in a couple of ways. For example, there is what I will call verifying power. That is, Jesus demonstrates his power so that other people, the disciples specifically, will see that he is backing up everything that he has said. So you come to the end of the Gospels and you see all of these miracles. They are verifying miracles. And we discover, yeah, Jesus is truly the Son of God, the Savior of the world. There's another kind of power we, we see. And many times the, these powerful miracles go hand in hand. It's what I'm going to call 
delivering miracles. A delivering miracle is someone is facing a real dilemma. doesn't seem like there's any way out. There's no way of escape. And, and Jesus comes along and he manifests his power and there's deliverance for that individual. That's what the feeding of the 5,000, really the feeding probably of the 10,000, because there were 5,000 men, probably women and children added up to about 10,000 individuals. And so Jesus, at that point, is showing delivering power. Notice in the text what takes place. Verse 35, when the day was now far spent, the disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? What they were really saying is, we don't have any power. We don't have any money. How are we going to feed all of these people? And then we have this wonderful thing where Jesus says, check and see what you do have. And they come back and report these five uh, barley loaves, or I've already told you, five barley tortilla-type type, uh, loaves. And they have these two fish, and Jesus takes them. Offers up a very simple Hebrew prayer of blessing. And then he asks the disciples to start to distribute it. And it's sent out. And everyone is fed because of the power of God. Can I suggest to you that it was power for that moment in time? It wasn't power that they were going to have for the rest of their lives. When they faced other situations, that power was there, but it was power for the moment. In your weariness, Jesus is your real rest, and you can rest in his power for the moment, for that point in time. Not five years down the road, but for that point in time. And the other thing that I want you to see in this passage is that what Jesus is telling us is that we come to the point where we rest in his provisions. Notice that in verse 42 that it says they were filled. In fact, it goes in the next verse and it says they were full and the baskets were full as well. When we rest in Jesus, we discover that he is sufficient for absolutely Every single thing that we need. All right, this is what Jesus is saying to you this morning. You're weary. (laughs) He's not necessarily saying, come away, but he is saying, come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. Will you come to him? Will you go to Him? Will you you trust Him for all things, for every single thing that you're facing? Well, the rest is now up to you. Heavenly Father, take these words, plant them deeply in the soil of our souls. And make us the people that you want us to be. And we would pray this all in the glorious name of our Savior and King, even Jesus. Amen. Well, happy Father's Day to all of the fathers who are here. May God bless you and give you a a wonderful Sunday. Again, I would remind you, uh, if you leave, if you have questions about Horizon uh, you can go to the, the hearth room right down this, this hallway and uh, there will be people there who would be delighted in answering questions for you.
Thank you for being with us this morning.